0: Let's welcome Alex. Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. This is uh, maybe not one of the more familiar New Testament uh, passages, but um, we've been going through Ephesians with our RUF ministry, and so... um, It's a good opportunity for me to uh, also just share what's been going on with our ministry. Um, This is uh, Ephesians 5, uh, let's begin in in verse 15. The Apostle Paul wrote this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is God's word. Um, One of the uh, TV shows that sadly got cut for me uh, this fall uh, due to some tragedy was uh, Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. Uh, If you never saw that show, what it was, is uh, this guy had the greatest life ever. He just traveled around the world (laughs) as a food critic to the best restaurants, visiting with the best chefs, and just tasted food and gave his opinion on it. It was amazing. But my favorite episode was a couple years ago, he visited Charleston, South Carolina, to, to visit with this chef named Sean Brock. And uh, he gets a full dinner, and they're talking, and then they go to a bar afterwards and having drinks. And while they're talking in the bar, Sean Brock uh, mentions this place called Waffle House. And Anthony Bourdain has, says, I, what, I don't know what that is. And Sean Brock, like, he can't believe it. He's like, you don't know what Waffle House is? And he says, No. And and Sean Brock says, we have to go right now. And so they get in the car and they drive over to a Waffle House and they walk in and sit at a little counter. And if you don't know what Waffle House is, um, I mean, it's just like imagine a gas station bathroom that sells waffles. (laughs) That's basically what it is. And so they're in this, this junky place sitting there. And remember, this guy has been to the highest, finest of places in Paris, in London. He's from New York, in Southern California, everywhere. And so they're at this little counter, and uh, they go through the whole menu. I mean, they order waffles, they order hash browns with everything on it, uh, every kind of egg they make. They even get the salad that comes out of the bag, you know, with the packet of Thousand Island. Uh, At one point, Sean Brock looks at him and says, do you want uh, a T-bone steak or thinly cut pork loin uh, strips? And Anthony Bourdain was like, both. <laughs> and so they just get everything and they get it. And then Anthony Bourdain has this monologue. He says, it is indeed marvelous. An irony free zone where everything is beautiful and nothing hurts. Where everyone regardless of race, creed, color, or degree of inebriation is welcome. <laughs> it's warm yellow glow, a beacon of hope and salvation, inviting the hungry, the lost, the seriously hammered all across the South to come inside. And hear this, it is a place of safety and nourishment. It never closes. It is always, always faithful. And it is always there for you. Don't you want to be a part of a place like that? Because I do. And I'll tell you how your church can be a part of a place like that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so there's three things here about uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. What Paul says, the way he says in this text, is being filled with the Spirit. That can empower you to become a community like this for Southern Orange County. And so being filled with the Spirit, let's do three things. Let's define it, then let's describe it, and then let's actually go get it. Okay? So first, uh, let's define it. Now what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Well, Paul sort of uh, lays that out in the middle of this text in verse 18. Uh, right in the middle when he says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he says that with a command. That's uh, the imperative in the Greek. Be filled with the Spirit. But now almost immediately uh, to a naked listening to that text, uh, we could easily uh, hear Paul and think he's putting out two communities. Uh, one community that has fun and drinks together and lives in a secular world and the other kind of community that just closes her eyes and sings hymns and puts on a bubble and never ever participates in anything like that. Don't hear Paul saying that. Because what he's actually doing is sort of doing a comparison and a contrast to the point where most scholars, what they believe he's saying right here, is that he's directly drawing on Acts chapter 2. Because what happens in Acts chapter 2, Is that the coming of Pentecost, the entrance of the Holy Spirit in a new way, in a new time, with God's people, happens in this way. Where there are people uh, standing around, uh, they're outside the church, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit condescends upon them. They physically see tongues of fire visiting around them. And then these people go out and they start courageously, boldly talking about the gospel. They start saying all the things that you'd be afraid and insecure that the crowds around you would reject. They talk openly. They talk courageously. They talk without fear. And all the crowds around them observe this and see this and think one thing. These people have to be drunk. And so what Paul is doing here is he's sort of teaching us this, that being filled with the Spirit is like and unlike being drunk. Okay? Now, I know that that's a lot to say on Sunday morning at church. But this is what the text is teaching us. It's, it's like being filled with the Spirit is like being drunk in this way. Because what alcohol does to you is it lowers your inebriation to the point where you are uh, able to sort of be more free, be more courageous, sort of be more open about what you might be a little bit fearful to say. Uh, you start to feel less insecure Uh, it starts to lower your inhibitions to the point where you think you're able to communicate, feel closer, more open to other sorts of people and to connect. To the point where I hear college students sometimes tell me at USC that they can't go to a party unless they've had two drinks. And what they mean by that is in their natural state they're so insecure and so bothered by what people think of them that they can't talk, they can't be themselves, and be normal in a community of people. And listen, what the fullness of the Spirit is meant to be is change your body, change your mind, change your soul to the point where you can do the exact same thing. It's like, in a sense, being drunk. But, hear this, it's also unlike being drunk. Because what alcohol does is it enables you, as a depressant, to be more courageous, to be without fear, or excuse me, with less fear, to feel more loved, by suppressing reality. So that often when people are interacting in an inebriated state, what they're doing is they're acting because they're pretending things are not real. And some of you have experienced this and seen this with some actually bad situations where somebody assumes that somebody likes them more than they actually do. Um, Somebody uh, is more open to something than they actually already are. And their inability to sort of cope with reality uh, actually causes some huge mistakes. But the filling of the Holy Spirit enables you to become less fearful, more courageous, more secure, not through suppressing reality, but grabbing a hold of reality. I mean, look back in the first couple of verses what Paul says. We're not going to spend much time on this in 15 through 17. But Paul says this, look, look carefully carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Then he says in verse 16, Make the best use of your time. That is, think, uh, consider, look out on the world, figure out what is, what is best use of your days, of your moments, and stuff like that. Then verse 17, understand, that is, think, consider, meditate on what the Lord's will is for you. Look, none of those things are found by pretending, By hiding reality, by suppressing the truth around you, but by engaging reality, which is why Paul says, therefore, be filled with the Spirit. Let me give you a sort of an illustration of this to try to make it a little bit better. Um, In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is talking about, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, not being anxious. He says, do not be anxious. Now, how many of you need that word for your life right now? In 20, I mean, it's like everybody needs that word. Do not be anxious. Okay, if Jesus were to say it to everyone in Southern California, there's a couple options about how we might go about not being anxious. One is to grab a bottle. And in 2019, there's a lot of bottles now you can grab um, of different kinds that people are using to not be anxious. But the other way is not by hiding reality or suppressing reality, but Jesus says, he doesn't, well, let me say what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, close your eyes and pretend God is okay. He says, here, do not be anxious. Look at the birds of the air. And look at the lilies of the field. Your Father cares for those things way more than you. And what he's saying is, you want to be less anxious in your life. Look, grab onto reality. Look at how Real, the living Lord is as He cares for things that you can physically see, you can audibly hear, you can experience for yourself, along with the promise that He loves you way more than those things. And what Jesus is teaching us is look, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes about when we grab onto the reality of God in this world to the point where it frees us up and it controls us in such a way that we are less anxious, that we are less fearful. That we are more courageous, that we are more open, that we are more loving, that we are more kind, that we are more merciful, that we are more gentle, not because we're closing our eyes and pretending none of this stuff is real, but because we're opening our eyes and we're grabbing on to the reality and the promises of God and actually even sometimes tangibly seeing them at work in this world in a way that preaches that even into our soul. And Paul says, listen, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. So that's what it is. That's defining it. Secondly, let's describe what this actually looks like. And I want to describe it to you because sometimes when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's unfortunately given to us in sort of abstract emotional pretenses. As if people who are filled with the Spirit are are just people who are emotionally on a high. But look what this text does. Paul says in verse 18, this is an imperative. Be filled with the Spirit. And then verses 19 and 21, I'll take you back to 8th grade English. What these are are participles. That is, they're things that modify this command. This is as in, Paul is saying, here's how you become filled with the Spirit. Or here's what it will look like for you to be filled with the Spirit. And he gives four markers. And I'll give them to you this way in, in sort of a simplistic form, and we'll get through them. Up, in, excuse me, up, down, in, and across, okay? He says be filled with the Spirit or you know you'll, you will know you're filled with the Spirit when he works with you up, down, in, and across. Okay, here's what I mean, up. The first one he gives us, and I'm not going to go directly through the order of the text because I, it just worked better with my outline. Um, <laughs> but he says up, look, Singing and making melody, this is 19b. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That is, to to be filled with the Spirit has a heart and a mind that is so controlled with the glory and the majesty of God that that is the song of your life. Uh, Amanda Seyfried, uh, you remember her, the star, one of the stars of uh, Mean Girls? Um, She said this so profoundly singing is a way of releasing an emotion that you sometimes can't even portray even when you're trying to act and music moves your soul so that music is the source of the most intense reality and the most profound emotions that you can feel in your life and here's what endice freedom the apostle paul are telling us that being filled with something being filled with the spirit is to recognize that there is a reality that controls you whether you're a musical person or not. And there is a song in your life that you are singing and praising with all the time. But being filled with the Spirit means even if you're not musical, if there was a song that you could write to express how loving and how gracious and how merciful and how beautiful God was, that would be the ongoing song in your life. And let me practically just say this. Here's why you want to the song of your life to be the glory of God and not any other narrative you're living by. Because what the songs of our, of our life are, and this text will bring this out, are things that come alive when all of our circumstances are broken. And if the song of our life is something that can never change, that means what we're singing is always going to be life-filling and joyful whether life is here or life is here. And so when the power of the Holy Spirit, then this is a, a sort of a marker for yourself, fills you, what that means is you don't just know God exists. You don't just believe He's a presence. But His glory, His majesty, His beauty begins to be a song that you can't help but sing to yourself. And maybe even to others. He fills you up, then He fills you down. The text says at the end of verse 21, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. That is, when the Holy Spirit fills you, what he does is he brings about a humility both personally and really relationally with your peers. So that when he fills you, it makes it possible for people to come into your life and talk to you about you. There's a place in John 16 where Jesus is going to leave and he uh, talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And what he says about the Spirit coming is he says when he comes, he will convict the world of their sin. It tells us that when the Spirit comes into our lives, he does a couple things. One, he tells us, reminds us how good God is. And he helps us reflect on the world and see that God is at work in the world and that God does care for us. But he also shows us a mirror to our own soul. And one of the main ways he shows us a mirror to our own soul about who we are and what's actually going on is through other people. Did you see the movie uh, Bohemian Rhapsody? If you didn't, you really should see that movie. It was really profound. It might win an Oscar tonight. But um, one of the best scenes in that movie is when uh, Rami Malek is playing Freddie Mercury and has sort of come to the end of his rope. And uh, he has sold out the band. He's sold out Queen uh, to go for a solo tour. And he's miserable. And this live aid show is coming up. And so he wants to get the band back together. So he calls for a meeting. And they're meeting. And the band is just sick of him. They're sick of his ego. They're sick of his self-glory projects. And he's begging them to come back. And he says, listen, going solo was the worst mistake I ever made. He said, I got so lonely because everybody around me told me exactly what I wanted to hear. And he looks at the band. and he says, I miss your pushbacks. I miss your rewrites. I miss our fights. And look, when the Holy Spirit comes in your life, does this amazing thing. It turns pushbacks and rewrites in your life from hostile to gracious invitations. So that, listen, submitting to one another and letting your community come into your life to speak truth is not something you take with gloves up but you take it with open arms because you realize these people are not doing this to wound you or to embarrass you but to restore you and to fill you back up with the love of God. And so when the Spirit comes in it both comes in to make you up towards Him and down towards others. But it also makes it sort of up, down, and in it allows Him to come in and change you this way. I love this phrase. In verse 20, giving thanks always for everything. See, it's easy to be, uh, to be confused with the fullness of the Holy Spirit with people um, whose lives are just going very, very well. Have um, you ever talked to these people where they, you say, Hey, how are you, how are you doing? And they just say, God is so good. And the next five sentences out of their life are about how awesome their job is, how amazing this new girlfriend is, how much money they've made, this new car that they have, this, uh, my kids are just killing it, everything is going awesome, and you're about to punch them. Because you know, there's just nothing real about their life. Look, when the fullness of the Spirit comes in your life, it doesn't just make you content for the great things it makes you thankful for the broken things. Because what it says here is that when the Spirit comes in, it enables you to give thanks for everything. And that's the peaks, and that's the valleys. And Paul here is teaching us the difference between being high and being filled with the Spirit. Because, listen, so those of you who have experienced this or have people in your life who are experiencing this, to be high is to definitely experience something amazing and to be thankful and to be joyful and to think everybody loves you and this is so great, but it crashes. Hence the phrase, coming back down to earth. When reality kicks in, the disposition of joy, thanksgiving, love, and reception is all gone. But the fullness of the Holy Spirit is to design your soul to be the same Whether life is like here or life is like this. And so He comes into your life and trains your mind and trains your soul to both be thankful, grateful, and joyful no matter what is going on. And in fact, what the fullness of the Spirit can do that no drug and no liquor can ever do is like Spurgeon said, make you like the stars. That is, the darker the night gets, the brighter they shine. Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, who you are in this world is not determined by circumstances but a reality that is above and outside circumstances to fill you to the point where you can never be empty. The Spirit comes in up, down, in but really across too because this is so important for developing a community. In verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is, the Spirit makes you an encourager to the people in your community. Um, The Hebrew word for encouragement uh, is one of my favorite because it means to strengthen the grip upon. And it's communicating this, that there are people here this morning, maybe in your family or maybe even sitting next to you, whose grip on the truth uh, is slipping. Um, Maybe slipping now or it's been slipping recently, where trusting in God and trusting in His goodness His love, His sovereignty is hard to believe. And what an encourager is, is it comes alongside somebody and helps strengthen the grip on those truths and realities when they can't do it. And the tool that we're given here in this text to be able to do that for one another is singing. It's one of the most powerful things you can do for people in and around you is sing the truth to and for them when they can't do it. Now let me speak to this for about one minute about singing because for those of you who have really benefited from this or you love singing in the church you need to know how weird that is for your non-Christian friends. Like There's all sorts of groups of people that are gathering together on Sunday morning in Orange County. I'm pretty sure we're the only ones who sing. Nobody does this in a community. Like prayer or me talking to you, or reading things. That actually is pretty common. But singing is weird. It just is. But the reality of God is so overwhelming to us. And it's so life-changing. What it means is that that first point, it's like we can't do anything but sing. But when you have people who are losing the grip on the truth, or they're new to the faith, you need to develop songs that don't require people to just have a happy face to sing them. See, a lot of songs that we have today are songs that you can't sing it if you're in a valley in life. If things are not going well, if you're struggling to believe this, if you're struggling to hold on, if your marriage is in trouble, it's hard to sing about how much you love Jesus. And so what people who are in need of encouragement and what songs they need you to address them with are often songs that identify their doubts, that identify their pain, that identify the valleys they're going through. I'll tell you how this happened to me for one time. I, this was like 12 years ago. I was in seminary, and I, I, I had a season where it wasn't just that I struggled. I remember getting to a point where I didn't know if I wanted to be a Christian anymore. I, I, was just, I, I had gotten to the end of my cynical rope, and I was really hurt and frustrated and borderline depressed And somebody gave me this song by Ann Steele. And she wrote this. Dear refuge of my weary soul, on thee when sorrows rise, on thee when waves of trouble roll, my fainting hope relies. To thee I tell each rising grief, for thou alone can heal. Thy word can bring a sweet relief for every pain I feel. Listen, if you have somebody who is losing the grip on the truth, they need a song that says their fainting hope is allowed to be in church and is welcomed to be here. And even Jesus lets that rely on him. And to be honest with you, there's not a lot of cool, skinny jean twenty eight year old guys writing songs like that today. You know, you know who writes who wrote songs like that? Are women in the eighteen hundreds. And I would strongly encourage you to go read them and sing them and breathe them into one another when it feels like the the truth is slipping off. Because what the Spirit wants to do is He wants to come fill a community up, down, in, and across so that you become a brand new group of people that is fresh and easy to land in. Now, some of you, like there's probably two groups right now that are either going, I've never had that or I've been struggling and I want that. So how do we get that? So we defined it. We described it. So let's actually close with this. Let's go actually get this. Here's how this text goes. Paul says in 18, be filled with the Spirit. And then he gives us these, add these participles to sort of these markers of it that we just went through. And this, here's English again. Uh, this, uh, This phrase, all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And all of those those participles are meant to be sort of off of that prepositional phrase. Meaning this here's how you get filled with the Holy Spirit the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's a name? A name for us is just an identification on a driver's license, but a name in the ancient Near East was a story. And what Paul is telling us is here's how we get filled with the Holy Spirit, the story of Jesus. Now, what is the story of Jesus to you? Because we've heard it a million times, maybe in a church. But listen, the story of the gospel for you right now this morning means in your beautiful, perfect Ladera Ranch community, we're able honestly when I drive in here from LA it doesn't look like there's anything wrong with this <laughs> it means whether last night like the text says you're coming in here from reading Bible verses or hungover the openness of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the kindness of his grace and love and cross is as open for you right now as it's ever can be And he looks at you in your story and says, listen, I know, I know you think down here you have to keep it together. And I know, listen, I'll just be frank for 10 seconds. I know you all struggle with that here. Because I can't drive through a community where every house, every yard, every person looks amazing down here. To the point where that has to internally exhaust you and feel like you cannot be broken down here and it's not okay to let down your guard. And the gospel wants to come in with white-hot love, with a story, and, and incinerate that, and say, you are welcome to come, regardless of your race, regardless of your creed, regardless of your degree of inebriation, and come here to open, armed love at all times. I'll tell you a place that blew me away in the Bible when I heard somebody teach on it about this it's in Hosea 6 um, he's talking about uh, returning to the Lord in repentance, and the fear that that is, and he says, "If we return to the Lord in repentance as surely as the sun rises, so will he return to us." Now, how many of you went to bed last night fearful that the sun would rise this morning? Mm-hmm. like, Lord Jesus like, please, please let that sun rise. <laughs> How many of you have ever woken up like peeking through the curtains in fear? Never. And Hosea says, you can be more sure of God's love and of his openness for you, no matter where you are, than the sun rising this morning. My friend uh, told me a story in his RUF ministry about a girl who was a... uh, She was like the the star Bible study leader. She was on the leadership team. She did everything. And she came to his office one day and she said, I'm pregnant. And she was horrified because this is also Mississippi where it's just not socially cool to do that. And as she worked through this, she wrote this letter to him. She said, I was on the bathroom floor of my fiance's college apartment with a positive pregnancy test in my hand. We had been engaged for eight weeks, and on my best guess, we were about eight weeks along. It was at that moment that everything I thought I knew had suddenly changed. I found that my greatest crisis was within. I realized that I no longer knew who I was, because up until that point, I was always the good girl. Frankly, in my mind, I was one of the best girls. I grew up with a long line of gold stars next to my name. Those stars weren't for achievement either. They were gold stars for Jesus. So I truly thought I was strong enough and spiritual enough to avoid this type of sin. But when I discovered over the next few days was real grace. The kind of grace that gives you strength to roll out of bed when you can't even stand the side of yourself in the mirror. The grace that is only found when you finally see the depth of your own sin. See, I've been a believer my whole life, but i would rarely missed a Sunday service. i felt felt heartfelt moments for God. I never felt the unabashed ending depths of Jesus' love for me, I thought. I was always there. But I'd never really seen it until God revealed to me my deepest, darkest, hidden sin to the entire world, and I could no longer hide it because my belly was about to grow. See, I felt for the first time Jesus' real love. And I was set free. I was able to say bye-bye to my good girl image and become a woman who finds her value and significance in grace and the cross of Jesus. Listen, the job of the Holy Spirit is to drive you like a nail into that story until you become filled. And then become a community that is just so open. It's like more welcoming than Waffle House. And that's the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, um, we can't do that without you so help us Lord we, um, we want to know you and we want to be filled by you and set free would you do that through the power Lord and fill us with that story in Jesus name Amen